Good day. How you guys doing? Oh, come on, that's terrible. That's my one shot. And you're like, Ugh. how's everybody doing? Great. Hey, you know, uh, so I'm Tobin. Is uh, Ben graciously introduced us, and it's been a crazy uh, journey for us. We've been here for about four days, and so I think we're just getting over jet lag, and then we're going to fly back tomorrow night, and we'll get jet lag again. And so it's going to be a really interesting experience for this, but we have been so blessed by the elders inviting us to come here and hang out with you guys. We've been so in blessed by our hosts and Peter and Lisa showing us all around Perth and Subi and all the neat places that you guys have here. And uh, we've been so blessed by the staff. They have graciously, because it just kind of happened all of a sudden, and they kind of had to uproot their time and, and, and come and hang out with us. And so it's been awesome to be with you and just to see what God's doing in your midst. From all the way from Dallas to, to Perth. And God is at work, and it's awesome to see that. And there's this bond as the people of God as we do that. So as Ben said, we have six people in our family. And so we represent half of them. We have myself and my, my first wife, my only wife, uh, and number one wife, Christina. And then we have uh, Kip is our son, and Rebecca is our daughter adopted from China. We were living in China, in Nanjing, in uh, Tianjin, and a couple other places like that in Hong Kong. And they are both uh, juniors in university. Rachel's to my right shoulder, and she is 22 and just graduated and got, will be getting married July 23rd. You can pray for me because I'm going to have to walk her down the aisle, and then I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to have to do the ceremony for her without crying. And if anybody knows me, you know that is impossible. Because in Hong Kong, they call me kind of like the crying pastor just because I get emotional sometimes. And so this is going to be a huge thing for that. Uh, and uh, so you can pray for that. And we are blessed to hear. So last Tuesday, I was on a retreat. I was in the middle of nowhere. I had no phone, no internet, nothing with a group of pastors trying to figure out what God has been doing in our life and our church. And I just happened to get a landline. And I called my wife and my wife said, hey, our our visas came in, and we're going to Perth on Saturday. So I got back Friday, washed my clothes, and got back Saturday. And this whole time I'm praying because I knew I was going to have to share something. And I was like, what, what can I share that, uh, that um, Subi needs to hear? And I, and I was just kind of praying through that. And so I, I'm going to share with you just my life first. And you heard it read today. It's been something that God's been working in my life. Um, and for about 48 years since I came to faith. And so I want to share that with you. You're going to see kind of how messed up I am in my mind and my thinking and my heart. Uh, and, but I'm hoping that now you will be able to look at that verse, and for the next 45 years, you're going to be thinking through that and praying through that and figuring out, you know, how do we respond to what Christ has done? What's it look like for us to be faithful followers of Christ? And so we're going to try to do that, and uh, I want to begin with a story. A friend told me the story that he was on this camping trip, and they were canoeing down the, this northern rivers in the north part of America, and it was ice cold. I mean, it was really, really, really cold. And they were going around this bend of this river, there's a group of them, and they heard this sound that you hate to hear when you're on a canoe, and it's basically the, this waterfall. So they hadn't really scouted out their place too well. They knew there was going to be a waterfall, but they didn't think it was going to be too tall. But as they were approaching it and they were seeing the water go off, most of the group said, no way. There's, there's just no way we can do this. 
it's, uh, yeah, so they got off and they pulled their, their canoe off. But there's, there's always this one guy in a group who says, hey, I think I can do that. So I don't know, in my, in my country we call them, you know, different cultures, or, or, you know, in my university we call them our opposing university. But this guy, he really said, hey, I think I can do this. And he went over this waterfall thinking it was going to be about a story or two, and it actually ended up being three stories. And he fell out of his canoe into this freezing water. And his friends were up above, and they looked down in horror as their friend got pulled into this vertex, this vortex of water was going around and around. The water was coming down, and it was caused this tidal pool. And it was, and it was sucking this guy down into it. And the guy kept swimming, and he get pulled back out. And he kept swimming, and he kept pulled back out. And it's just freezing. And so by this time, his friends get down to the water, and they're watching this all go on. And they're, they're praying, they're screaming, they're yelling, they can't get to them. And in about eight minutes, he just, he dies. Too cold, hypothermia sets in, and his friends are watching in horror. In the moment he dies, his body gets sucked into that tidal pool. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004. His body pops up right in front of them, about 10 feet off the shore. Now, if he had been alive, he could have got out, walked over, and he would have survived. But he spent so much time fighting it that he doomed himself. You see, in that situation, the solution was counterintuitive. What looked like, light, what looked like death to him was actually going to be life. What looked like it was going to doom him was actually going to be his salvation. And that's what the passage is about today. That there's so many things in our life that we go about doing, and God brings us into these situations. And we fight him, and we fight him, and we fight him, thinking that we know the right way, thinking that what we're going to do is going to give us life. But actually what it does is it kills us. So it's the last week of Jesus' ministry. He's come into Jerusalem. He's been doing crazy things for three years. He's been feeding people. He's been healing people physically and spiritually. He's been casting out demons. He's been raising the dead. He's been bringing hope. He's been bringing freedom to everybody around. And now he comes into Jerusalem in the Passover. He comes from Bethany, which on the east, you go down this hill, if you've been to Jerusalem, Israel, you can see it. And he, and he walks in on this donkey, fulfilling this prophecy that had been said for hundreds and hundreds of years. And all the people are lined up on the road, and they're waving these palm branches, and they're yelling, Hosanna! 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 Come save us. Come heal us. We need salvation. But what they really, really were hoping is that when Jesus came in, there would be a confrontation. There would be a power encounter. That he would meet the Romans, that he would meet the Sanhedrins, he'd meet the Jewish leaders, and that everybody in the town was expecting this massive revolution. But what you see in scriptures, and what you see in the Gospels, that's just not how Jesus works. 
If you read the passage, Christ's focus was on one thing. His focus was on the cross. His focus was to come and die on a cross counterintuitively so that he could save you and me. And at this passage, Jesus is teaching them temple. And all of a sudden, we hear that these Greeks come to Andrew and Philip. And they come to Andrew and Philip because Andrew and Philip have these uh, Greek names or foreign names. And they come and they want to hear Jesus and they want to learn from Jesus. And in verse 23, we read this and it says, Jesus, hearing that they are there, says the hour has come to be glorified. Now, the Greek word glorified there is this idea of being given weight. It means being given ultimate significance. It means given ultimate importance. It means being made of the greatest value and the greatest worth. And so Jesus is talking about his life, but he's looking at the cross, and he says, at this cross, I'm going to be given the greatest worth and the greatest value. And so what I want to look at this passage, and I'm hoping that you will start to ponder it and think about it for these next 45 years like I did. I want to look at three things. I want to look at a principle. I want to look at a practice, and I want to look at a promise, a principle that Jesus teaches, a practice that we should consider, and a promise that will be true to us if we trust him. First, I just want to look at a principle, and the principle is found in verse 24. So if you have your scripture, you can pull it out and look at it, and the, verse 24 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears forth much fruit. So Jesus is using this illustration that everybody in his culture would have understood. He's using this illustration that probably everybody in Perth would have understood. If you're a farmer, if you're a grain, my family grew up on a, on a farm, and you understand this idea that unless this grain of seed falls into the ground and dies... Nothing happens. So Jesus is telling everybody, hey, that if you want to live, if you want life, that life only comes from death. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but when I hear that and when I live in the world today, I think that is crazy. Because the world is going to say things like this. The world's going to say, hey, you need to save yourself. The world's going to say, hey, you need to get what you deserve. The world's going to say, hey, you only go around once. The world's going to say, hey, you need to look out for yourself, because if you don't look out for yourself, no one else is going to look out for yourself. The world's going to say, hey, don't miss out on life. You deserve greatness. You deserve dignity. You deserve worth. You deserve happiness. Now, the psychiatrists tell us in America that the greatest growing mental problem is this fear of missing out. And that everybody feels like they deserve something. But the, the message of the cross, the, the principle of the gospel, is that God's kingdom is this. If you want to be great, you have to serve. If you want to be great, you've got to be the least. If you want to be rich, you need to be generous. If you want to be strong, you do that through weakness. And if you want to save your life, you have to lose your life. 
Now, Jesus is going to share what's going to be happening to him five days from now when all these people who were at that time saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, in five days they're going to be yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify. And so what he's telling us is that you and I and every Christian from that point in time are the fruit of his death. And that if Christ didn't die, then there's no life possible in God's kingdom. Now, are there all the other world philosophies, all the other world religions, all of them are going to say something like this. Hey, you are saved by obeying the leader. If you obey the leader's teaching, you're saved. If you follow the leader, if you act just like the leader, you can save yourself. But Christianity doesn't say that. I mean, listen up, guys. I mean, Christianity says something that is incredibly interesting. It doesn't say you're saved by following Jesus. Christianity doesn't say you're saved by following Jesus' teachings. Now, there are many people in this story that we just read who are following Jesus. And there are many people in our churches today who believe that if they just obey Jesus, they're going to be saved. But the passage doesn't say that. And the scripture doesn't say that. And the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says that you and I are actually saved by Christ's death. That in his death, we're redeemed. That in his death, God's wrath is pushed aside. And that there's no death, then there's no life. And so the principle I want us to learn, and I'm still learning it after 45 years, is that life comes from dying. And if you don't die, you're never going to live. So here's a question for you today. How are you dying? How are you dying in your marriage? How are you dying in your relationships? How are you dying at work? How are you dying with your friends? How are you dying to yourself in church? The world's going to say, hey, don't do that, because that's not going to give you hope. But the gospel says, until you die, you will never live. Does that make sense? I say, does that make sense a lot? Because I'm used to living and teaching in multicultural environments, and my wife continually reminds me that I'm not as good of a communicator as I think I am. And so I, if, if it makes sense, just nod your head and go, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So in verse 25, now we have the practice. And the practice is this. He who loves his life, and the Greek word there is suke, and it means your worldly self. It means your personality. It means your ego. It means living for here and now. It means living for yourself. It means, hey, if I live this way, Scripture says, if you live for yourself, you're going to lose everything. But the passage goes on and it says, but if you hate your life, if you live for the things of God, if you, if you, if you live for the things of God more than the things of Perth, if you live for the things of God more than the things of Australia, then you're going to gain eternal life. 
And the word there is zoe. And zoe is this really interesting word. It means a deep, rich, divine life. It means peace. So this is what this passage says. (laughs) This passage says there are two types of people in the world. This passage says there's, there's two types of people in Australia. There's two types of people in Perth. There's two types of people in Subi. There are those who live for themselves, and there are those who live for Christ. It says there are those who worship themselves, and there are those who worship God. There are those who, when they live their life, they bring awe to themselves. And you know those people with their houses and their cars. And and the houses and cars aren't bad things at all. They're also great things. But when you have them, who is your focus on? Are we bringing awe to ourselves? Or are we bringing awe to God? Those who live and look like Perth, and those who live and look like those who follow Jesus. And so the question is, which one are you? If someone were to follow you around today, or someone to look at how you spend your money, or someone to look like how you treat people, or in the office, would they say you're the one who looks like Perth? Or would they say you're the one who looks like Jesus. Maybe the question I should ask is, who do you want to be? Because as we understand grace, we're, we're failing all the time. But there's only two types of people. And what kills me about this passage is Jesus doesn't hide anything. Jesus, if you read Scripture and you're never bothered, then you're not reading Scripture properly. Because when you read God's Word, it should bother you. And it should humble you. And Jesus is coming into our life and he's confronting us with this gospel of gift of grace. And he's saying, be careful how you live. Be careful what you do with this gift of grace. And I want to be honest with you guys. I struggle with this often. Because I I want to be comfortable. I'm selfish. And I need to be reminded, as Jesus reminds his disciples that there are two types of people in the world. Those who live and look like the world and those who live and look like you, Jesus. So we have this practice. And in verse 25, he says it kind of like this. He says, he who hates his life is my follower. And then the idea is this comparison. And so in Hebrew... Or in Greek, this idea of hate means like a comparison to. So it's kind of like this. Compared to Diet Coke, I hate iced tea. Now, I love both. But my love for Diet Coke is much greater than my love for tea. Uh, Compared to my love for my wife, I hate my kids. Now, I love them both. Now, you got to hear what Jesus is saying here, because sometimes you get confused in this. I, I, I love them both. 
But my love for Christina is much greater than my love for my kids. Now, compared to my love for Jesus, I hate Christina. What Jesus is saying here is to, to love him, to hate our lives, is to put him first in everything that we do. So Jesus is saying to his followers, hey, compared to all the other things in the world, compared to your pride and compared to your wealth and compared to your reputation, compared to your secure future, compared to your job, compared to your family, compared to yourself, I want you to love me more than all those things. And Jesus, Mary does that in the passage. When you read verses 1 through 9, Mary comes in and she does something that is totally countercultural, something that no one would ever do. She, she comes in, she lets her hair down, which you never do in front of, unless it's in front of your husband. You, she takes this vial of great uh, worth of perfume and nard, she breaks it, and she spreads it all over. So she takes this one year of her salary, and she gives it to God, and she does it in front of everybody. And everybody's looking at her, and they're going, hey, she, she is crazy. But you see, as a person who humbly understands grace, you see a person who, who deeply was touched by Christ. And so her love for Christ is overwhelming, and she sacrifices, and she gives everything, and everybody's looking at her, and they are thinking, Man, she is just crazy, she is out of control. Uh, what is going on? But the passage says she does it because she loves Jesus. So the question is maybe like, when was the last time our love was out of control? When was the last time that we gave something to God in worship that people looked at us and said, that's, that's out of control, that's crazy? Mary understood what it means to love Jesus. And I think I need to learn, I think we need to learn what it means to love Jesus even more. So the question would be this, do you come to church? Do you go to small group? Do you serve in church? Do you tithe? Are, are you kind to people? Do you do all these things because of guilt? Or shame? Or because we've been doing it for four generations, so I need to keep up the reputation? Or do you do it because you're overwhelmed with God's grace and mercy in your life. And the passage is putting this spotlight on our heart, and it's reminding us that if we put anything else in our heart first before Christ, we're in trouble. We need to repent of that. We need to confess of that. Do we do it because it's what is expected of us, or do we do it because of how Christ has loved us? So the passage reminds us that if we put anything in our heart first, if we're hoping that anything in our world is going to bring us hope besides the cross and by Christ, it's only going to bring us death. It's only going to bring us pain. 
It's only going to fail us. On my farm, there's this urban myth of this farmer who had to go out and he had to cut down all these trees. It was like 50 trees. And as he started cutting the tree down, this beautiful eagle flew into one of these trees about 10 yards away. And he looked up and he watched this eagle beginning to build this nest. And he realized that one day he's going to have to go cut that tree down too. And so he walked over there with his axe and he hit against the side of the tree and it shaked the eagle. And he flew up and he flew over about 20 more yards to another tree. And the farmer's going, oh, man, I gotta, I'm going to have to cut that down sometime, too. And so he goes over there, and he hits up against that tree, and the eagle flies up, and he goes over to another tree, and he goes over, I have to cut that one also, and he goes over, and he hits that other tree, and finally the eagle flies away, and it flies to this big mountain, this big rock. And it builds its nest in this big rock. This illustration reminds us that no matter what tree we build our life on, our intellect, our job, our health, our beauty, our family, our money, whatever we're trusting in to sustain our lives, the scripture says that one day all those things are going to get chopped down. They're all going to fail us. And the only thing that won't fail us is Christ. In the rock. So maybe the question I should be asking is, what are you building your life on today? What is it that you're hoping in? And the passage says, hey, if you, you, you build your life on anything but Christ, it's going to fall down and it's not going to sustain your soul. So we have a principle, we have a practice, and finally we have a promise. And the promise is this, it's found in the last verse, and it's basically, and I'm going to read it for you. I can find my scripture. He says this, verse 26. If anyone wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you will be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. And the Father will honor you and reward anyone who serves you. So put in Texas language is this. As you walk with the Lord, there's never a time that God's not with you. As you walk with the Lord as his children, he's always there. He's always beside you. When you go into the doctor's appointment and it's not good, when you're into that relationship and it's not good, whatever you're facing, the passage says that as you go and serve God, God's promise is to always be with you. I run into people all the time and they say, hey, you know what? It feels like God has forsaken me passage in the gospel says that God would never forsake his children because he already forsook his son on the cross. And because of what he's done for Christ, you and I have this promise that as we serve him and as we walk with him, that everything is going to be okay. Does that make sense? Kind of. One last story. About 150 years after Jesus dies, <clears throat> there's this huge plague that sweeps the land and is devastating the cities. And, and, and people are dying by the thousands. And everybody's leaving the cities. 
And the Christians go, hey, you know, we could leave the cities and save ourselves, but that's not what Christ did for us. We're going to save in the city. We're going to stay in the city. And so historians tell us the Christians stayed in the city. They take and they cared for people with very simple care. They even cared for the people who hated themselves, who hated them and persecuted them as Christians. But they cared for them. And we're, we're told that thousands of Christians died. But they knew that's what God would have done for them. After the plague was finished, people came back into the cities, and you saw this huge influx in the church because people saw love and they saw grace and they saw what Christ would done lived out in the people of the church. I don't know if you know it, but there is a huge plague in Perth. And every day, people are dying. And they're going into an eternity without the beauty of Christ. And the question is, are we going to be this church that acts differently? Are we going to be this church that loves differently? Are we going to be the church that sacrifices differently because of what Christ has done for us? My prayer for us guys at Subi is that we would be a different church. That people would see the beauty of Christ in your lives. They would see people who die to themselves in their workplace and in their marriage and with their kids and among their friends. They would see people who love differently. They would see people who give differently. And then as you do this, Subi, Perth, Australia, the kingdom is going to be different. The question is, do we want to be that type of church? Or are we going to live for ourselves? Does that make sense? Can I pray for us? Father, I thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for your beauty. And even as we pray, I realize that there are probably some people in here who they are not in the family of God. And they have been building their lives, they've been building their hope in trees of power and significance and money and a billion different things. And, and our prayer for them tonight is that they would see that all those things that they're hoping in, all those things that they think are going to be of life, all those things that they hope are going to save them, they're actually just going to bring death and disappointment. And I pray that they would come and see and understand and ask questions about who Christ is and what he's done for them. And I realize that there's some of us in here who are believers, and we've gone a long time without looking like Christ. We've gone a long time without loving like Christ. We've gone a long time without sacrificing like Christ, and we've just looked at ourselves and I pray for them, Lord, that they would realize the beauty of your son. They would examine their heart and see, do they really understand grace? Do they really understand mercy? Do they really understand your holiness in the hope that you ask for them? And I pray that they would be like me daily, 
and we repent and just ask for God's forgiveness we confess Lord I'm so sorry I've blown it and the crazy thing is that you forgive us and you separate those sins as far as the east is from the west and for our Lord I pray for the rest of those in here who are followers of Christ and they're walking and they're struggling and they're trying to love and they're trying to do all these things um, and they, they know that you're there, I pray that they would never lose hope. Just as the passage ends, the promise is that as we serve and walk and love, that you are always there with us, that you are always upholding us, and that we might not face and get that reward that we think we deserved on earth, but we've already gotten the most precious thing that we could ever receive which is your son, Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for this day. May we be people who love you well. May we be people who serve you well. May we be people who love others well. And may we be people who serve others well. Lord, we desperately need you. And we pray these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.